The views on this podcast belong uniquely and solely to the mouths from which they emanate. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Linguist Podcast. Man, do we have a treat in store for you today. Dr. Zork came onto the scene in Philippine linguistics uh, around the 1970s. Most of his work on an individual language was done on the Aklanon language. But he did a lot more than just that. He did what turned out to be a seminal work on the classification of the Bisayan languages, which the Bisayan languages are the ones in the Bisayas, which is basically the central part of the Philippines. All of those little bitty teeny tiny islands stuck between the big island of Luzon in the north and the, and the big island of Mindanao in the south. It is, quite honestly, very difficult to find anybody that has written or published in this area after David Zork that doesn't cite David Zork. For the sake of full disclosure, you will see that he and I have a a very cordial relationship. It it goes beyond cordiality. We're very good friends. And I appreciate his friendship, and I appreciate everything that he has done to help me along the way. As a matter of fact, he is an informal reader of the dissertation that I am now writing on the Bantayano language in the Philippines. He and Jason Lobel have helped me understand Philippine languages, these two more than anybody else. They have been uh, very, very, very helpful for me, and I am eternally grateful for all that they continue to do for me even today. I also wanted to say Dr. Zork has an extensive amount of work that he has published, but he has got it on his website. And if you go on there and take a look, it's amazing the amount of materials that he has put up there. And we mentioned this uh, in these episodes. And so I will go ahead and put that link on the show notes so that you can check those out too and benefit from them as much as we have. As a matter of fact, those materials are invaluable in many ways. And one of them is, you know, we talk about in our interview the fact that so many Filipinos today are picking up the mantle of documenting their languages and working in their languages. And we think that's fantastic. And there's a lot of materials on Dr. Zork's website that they can go and check out. And it it gives them a huge head start. It did for me. It gave me a huge head start. Even today, it continues to, to help. But if you flip through, you'll find some very, very, very interesting stuff. Mostly, though, David Zork is a kind and gentle soul and a good man. And I am honored and proud and, and feel tremendously blessed to call him my friend. You'll see that we recorded this episode over the phone, which was the first time we'd ever done that. But I don't think it worked out that badly. So here we go, Dr. David Zork. This call may be monitored and recorded for quality assurance. Hello. Hey, Miss Nellie, can you hear me? No, this is me. Oh, it's you. Okay. (laughs) I guess I'm, I'm used to her answering. How are you, Dr. David? Very good. Can you hear me okay? All right, I want you to know this is a very special moment because as of today, I am in newsroom 103, 
with some very sophisticated equipment. Uh, oh, very yeah, we are in Newsroom 103 at uh, KBYS, late radio station in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And um, this uh, is probably going to be the best sounding episode that we have done so far. Wonderful. So how have you been? Excellent. Excellent. Well, very good. Well, we've got a lot to talk about here, but... Huh. I know. <laughs> but what I wanted to, to say to begin with is I'm really excited about this because, you know, you and I have talked a lot over the past couple of years and you've helped me so much uh, with all the work that, that I've done. And I wanted to start off by just saying thank you. Okay. No problem. Uh, you know, me and... Um, I, feel, I, I feel your gratitude, uh, you know, through your emails and that. Oh, well, it, it's, 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 you know, it's felt in the heart. I, matter of fact, uh, Anthony Grant and I were, we, you know, I told you, but we had, we had talked a, a little bit about you, and, and uh, he said, he, he told me, he said, yeah, David Zork, I've read everything he's ever written. <laughs> <laughs> but, Dr. David, I want to start with, to ask you a quick question. I want to go ahead and, and place, um, especially your Bisayan work, I want to go ahead and place it in time and context. If I remember correctly... You were working in the 70s, and you were doing some pretty groundbreaking pioneering work there in the Central Visayas, right? And this was through the Peace Corps. Can you remind me really quick uh, what, the, what the context oh, yeah. was? I was a Peace Corps volunteer. Um, uh, the background is, is I didn't want to be either a linguist, an osteopath, or a musician, which were three career paths. Uh, recommended to me at Georgetown when I took aptitude and placement tests. So I decided to join the Peace Corps to defer a decision as to, because I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And I uh, found out that with my aptitude for psychiatry was very low because I, I, I'm not that gifted in uh, you know, things like uh, statistics, for example. Uh, and and the medical field. So they said, you know, you would be a, a you probably could not pass all the courses for psychiatry, but they had these three fields uh, open, and they said linguistics, osteopath, or musician. <laughs> so I said not none of the above, and joined <laughs> the Peace Corps. And uh, they sent us. Uh, we had a three month training in San Jose, California. And uh, they taught us Tagalog and in you know, a Philippine culture studies and um, other basic things for three months. And then they shipped me off to the Philippines. And uh, uh, it was only when I got to the Philippines that uh, I found out that the Tagalog would not help me because they were sending me to Aklan, <laughs> which I had to look up. I didn't know what Aklan was. <laughs> well, we know now. Yeah, and uh, so I said, but the other thing is I stayed there uh, two terms. Uh, Peace Corps is only a two-year assignment, but uh, at the end of the second year, I asked for, you know, another uh, term, and I wanted to be, though, uh, a, a linguist because I wanted to do a project of making an Aklan on grammar and an Aklan on dictionary, and this was without any linguistic training. <laughs> so I, my... Uh, 
thoughts were very profound and very high in the sky, but not realistic. <laughs> and they, the only way they could accommodate that was to make me a language coordinator for the Western Visayas. That's normally a high-paid position, uh, you know, with somebody that they bring from the U.S. Uh, to do. But instead, they just made 12. Actually, they did decided this for 12 regions in the Philippines to just give the language coordinator position to someone who was renewing their uh, job and also, you know, who knew how to speak at least one local language. So um, uh, as a language coordinator, I was obligated then to give... Uh, tests and any assistance, uh, uh, whatever possible, to all of the Western Visayan region. So that involved not only Aklanon, but also Ilongo on southern Panay, Kinaraya on eastern Panay, and then Romblomanon on Romblon, and Ojunganon in Ojunan. And, you know, there were about nine dialects altogether that I had to learn something about in order to help volunteers assigned in that region. Right, right. And so, but yeah, your so primary was, your primary love turned out to be Aklanon, right? Yeah. Well, uh, you know... Um, I, it, you and I are very similar here. September 1965 through August of 1969, so the timing. Okay, and then a few years later, um, 1977, is when you published basically what's basically the, the go-to work even today on Visayan classifications. Um, Actually, no, it was earlier than that. Uh, I, in 1969, I went to Cornell and I finished in two years. I was one of the whiz kids that started from scratch and yet, you know, I took summer courses and mm -hmm. extra load. So I got all my PhD studies out of the way in two years and I got a grant from the Ford Foundation uh, to do research for a year in the Philippines for my dissertation. And uh, so that I went to the Philippines in 1971 and stayed through for a full year through mid-1972. And I, I went all around the Visayas, Mindoro, Palawan, uh, northern Mindanao, uh, to, you know, to do research on all the languages of that area. Oh, I'm seeing what I made. The mistake that I made is it looks like yeah, that. It, went, uh, my, I, it took me three years. That's right. Although I did all the graduate work in two years, it took me three years to write my dissertation. I had a very tough chairman, Charles Hockett, mm -hmm. and I was writing prose like a Sunday journalist, you know, a nice and flowery speech and nice, beautiful uh, metaphors and examples. And he wanted me to write like a scientist. So he made me rewrite my dissertation eight times. <laughs> so it took three years to finish my dissertation, which I did in 1975. So it was actually finished in 1975. But uh, then Canberra, the uh, Pacific Linguistics, right. uh, wanted to publish it. So and that's why they published it in. That came out two years later. Okay, so that's why seventy-seven. Yeah, that's that's why I had that date in my mind. You know, mm. I, I was sitting here thinking, when you're in Aklanon, if I'm right, uh, they speak Aklanon in Boracay, right? Yes, Boracay. Okay, so basically, basically, me having chosen Bantayan and you choosing uh, Aklanon, we just wanted to go to the beach. I think that we just. <laughs> 
or something. Actually, Kalibo is about three miles from a beach. It's upriver in Aklan, but uh, you take a, a little road, you know, to the actual beach. And I think I've only actually been there about six times in the four years I was there. You know, I've but I've never know. been to Boracay. I've never been to Boracay, and people ask me why, and yeah, I say, I've only been to Boracay once. Yeah. I did that a year before I left. Uh, that's an act- actually interesting story. Uh, I went with a, a bunch of my Philippine friends. They call it barcada. They're a gang or a group. You're, you know, your intimate friends. Right. And uh, Filipinos are very shy. And we got to Boracay. It was already dark. So I bravely, you know, you, there were no hotels or anything then. It was just a bunch of houses. And so I arranged for us to sleep somewhere on the floor in a house, you know, just to have some kind of comfort uh, being within a house. And I did all those negotiations in Aklanon. And the next morning, uh, when the you know sun had come up, they said, Abao, my Americano galiyas Oh, gosh, there's an American in our house. <laughs> and I was the one who had done the negotiations, but they couldn't tell because of the way I spoke Aklanan, I guess, and it was too dark to see my white skin. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I, I've often said, they ask me why I've never been to Boracay, and I say, I don't need to, I've been to Bantayan. Um, yeah, that's true, <laughs> I imagine. And, and you know, is they, they closed, they closed Boracay down last year, and, um, you know, before COVID for cleanup, and, and I think Santa Fe and Bantayan benefited a good bit from that. Um, mm. But uh, anyway, so what we wanted to talk to you today was about a couple of things. Primarily, you know, Tagalog in the Philippines, obviously, for obvious reasons, gets a lot of attention. But the Visayan, the, the Visayan speech varieties or languages or dialects, uh, you know, however you, whatever word you want to use, they don't get as, as nearly as much attention. Um, if I'm not mistaken, around the time that you were working would have been around, generally speaking, the same time that John Wolfe was doing his work in Cebu, right? Right, yeah. His dictionary came out uh, just a year after I left the Peace Corps. And it was John Wolfe. Uh, I had been in touch with him, and he's the reason I got a full scholarship and fellowship to go to Cornell. Oh, okay. We were correspondents, and I sent him a copy of my grammar and dictionary, and he said, you know, this is worth worth getting an education. So he convinced me to study there under him, and so I did. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Um, Let's start off. This is not going to be about Tagalog, but let's start off really quick. Can you give us a, a basic idea of what separates, you know, no specifics, because I know it's 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 probably a lot to talk about. But generally speaking, what is going to differentiate the Visayan languages from Tagalog? Well, it's going to be a lot of their grammar and their vocabulary. Uh, they're all basically central Philippine languages. You have Tagalog, Visayan, Mansakan, and Bicol. Uh, as the four primary uh, central Philippine languages. And just to go up one step, they're part of a language family that Bob Blust, or Dr. Robert Blust, uh, defined as Greater Central Philippine. And that includes most of the languages of Mindanao, like uh, Manobo family, the Subanon family, the Danao family. Uh, And so they're, they're all related. 
uh, at any rate, Tagalog and and Bisayan and Bicol are in the central Philippines. Tagalog on southern Luzon, uh, and of course throughout the Philippines as a national language. Now, the Visayas basically occupies the Visayan Islands. Uh, that's uh, west of Palawan, starting at Panay, and all the way over to Samar and Leyte on the east. Uh, and then uh, parts of northern Mindanao are also Visayan. And uh, their vocabulary is, in some regards, unique. For example, the word for love in Visayan is is gugma. In a language that preserves the schwa sound, it'll be pronounced gugma, but otherwise gugma. I think that's in in Bantayanon and Aklanon as well. Yes, Bantayanon. So the word for love is unique. It's not in any other Philippine language. In Tagalog, it's ibig which comes from an Austronesian word meaning to crave or desire, uh, but it means love in Tagalog. And in Bicol, it's a different word again. So the Visayans have that word for love. Uh, another one is the word for dream. They say, Visayans say damgo, D-A-M-G-U, damgo. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Tagalog, it's the original Austronesian word, but as it descended into Tagalog, they say panaginip, uh, and uh, it comes from, you know, the proto-word for inip, which is to sleep, uh, uh, but with the pan prefix, it means to dream. So, you know, there's a bunch of vocabulary defines just the Visayan languages. Uh, There's nothing in the sound system that separates them. They pretty much have the same sound system or phonology. Uh, Grammar, again, though, Bisayan in their verb forms, they have a a gi, gin, or gina prefix to show a passive verb. So uh, something like ginadamgo would mean Mm. being dreamed. Uh, in Tagalog, it'd be pina pina ginip. <laughs> you know, right. uh, Tagalog uses reduplication. Right, that's the one I had in my mind. Uh, but Bisayan has this gina prefix. Uh, it's gi, shortened to gi in Cebuano, but in Hiligaynon. So these are some of the main uh, things uh, that, that really differentiate Bisayan from all the other Philippine languages. But one thing that I think that's interesting to point out, though, and at least in my experience, because it, before I started learning or studying Bantayanon, I, I obviously I read the Wolfendens on Hiligaynon, and I read the Wolfs on Cebuano, and um, obviously I, I read your work. And it seems to me that I don't see a whole lot of grammatical difference in Bantayanon between these other. So basically, in this in this in this classification, the languages have the basic grammar set. Uh, 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 the, right, the basic, correct. the basic same grammar. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much. It's uh, the pattern. Uh, it, it varies very little uh, amongst all the besides. Uh, I think I researched something like fifty-seven different language varieties. By the way, I guess we should let everyone know that there are two ways of looking at language. Uh, I remember Hackett teaching me this. One is uh, what they call an L 
simplex. Uh, this is a group of languages where everybody can understand everybody else. English is an example. In other words, somebody from London can communicate with somebody from New York and somebody from Sydney. Even though there are different accents and different vocabulary, by and large, they, the communication is not obstructed. But there's another kind of language family where it's called an L-complex. And what this means is that all the languages are related, but opposite ends of the language family can't understand anybody at all. So that an Aklanon cannot understand a Cebuano. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A Bantayanon probably can't understand a Kinaraya and things like right, that. So right. all these members of the family are members by links so that in a language A is linked to B, B can talk to C, C can talk to D, all the way down the alphabet Y can talk to Z, but A and Z don't have a clue what each other is right, saying. Right. You know, I, I read, I, I believe it, I don't remember who it was that I read this. Forgive me if it was you. <laughs> but um, I, I read somebody that was talking about the concept of if you started in Samar Leti, and you and you slowly, like every year, moved a little bit further west, you know, through Cebu, through uh, Negros, through Panay, and you kept moving west. You would have that you gradually moving. You would be able to understand as you moved along. But if you took a flight from San Marlete all the way uh, uh, all the way west in the in the in the in the Bisayas, then it would be too dramatic of a change too quick. So basically, Correct. you've got That's like a. True. This is what you're talking about, right? It's kind of like a chain yeah, right. of, of speech varieties. Yeah. Hackett also defined. A, he called things by the number of days it would take you to get used to a dialect. Right. So that's why if you move slowly across, you know, took a canoe or something and stopped and stayed a while, in, you know, starting at uh, Leyte or Samar, and then went over to Leyte to Cebu to uh, Negros then finally to Panay, and across all those areas, you'd be crossing all these language boundaries. But uh, with the right luck, you would have picked up enough passive understanding of each of the languages to understand them, and, and people would be able to communicate with you. You know, speaking of that, I, I haven't told you this yet because I just found it in some of my notes, but Michael Cullinane at the University of Wisconsin he um, gave me a lot of information. He wasn't doing linguistic research, but he gave me a lot of his information on Bantayan, and I was reading through it. And you, you remember Alcina said that the original Bantayanos had come west from basically from Samar Leyte. Well, he, uh -huh. he has additional information uh, several decades later, and I need to go ahead and, and find this so that I can cite it and add it to our, our theories here. But he said that he saw in the National Archives there's documents that say that in the late 1600s that there was another migration of people from uh, from Panay coming to Bantayan and then also people from Cebu like Daan Bantayan and San Gemesio and all these places coming onto Bantayan. So you have an additional uh, additional overlay of Cebuano and 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 in either Kinaraya or Ilongo coming back onto Bantayan. So Bantayan has just never been homogenous. <laughs> I don't right. think it's ever uh, been homogenous. That's very probable, yeah. yeah. 
Also, I don't think I mentioned that uh, I, my belief is that the Visayans, Tagalogs, and Bicols and that started out in central or southern Mindanao. They are a washback or a reverse migration northward because uh, people, the Austronesian people left Formosa, went through the northern Philippines, slowly down through the southern Philippines, and then left the Philippines for Indonesia, Celebes, and the Pacific uh, through oceanic languages. Uh, but uh, I believe that Tagalog and the Visayas uh, came back upwards. Uh, and there, there was a large concentration of them in the northern Mindanao area because that's also where the Tausu people, they came from the Butuan area of northern Mindanao about 800 years ago, but they went all the way down to Holo. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can prove that uh, Tausug is most closely related to Butuanon on northern Mindanao. So that area seems to have been like the homeland. And then they, you know, finally went through all the Visayan Islands, but probably starting from the west, moving back to the east. I'm sorry, backwards, from starting in the east, uh, Leyte, right. Samar area, moving to Panay. Which would have been around the time that we're talking about then. Yeah, about a thousand, about about two thousand years ago, sort of time of Christ. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, um, a couple of really quick questions here that I've got on my list here. Um, the first one is something I've always wondered: Is the um um infix of Tagalog related to the mu of 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 Cebuano and Bantayano? Yes, they are uh, by metathesis, uh, right. and also obviously by position change. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's very clear that the uh, um infix. So, if you have Sakai Sumakai, became Musakai. Right. Right. Also, as an alternate, but uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, that okay. In fact, many Bisayan dialects don't keep the um, but only have the mu. Right. Right. Yeah, because uh, there are. There are no in, no verbal infixes in Bantayanon at all. Mm, right. right. And the other one is the in infix became ni. So, uh, oh. sinakyan would be nisakyan. Okay, uh, next quick question. I was listening one time to the podcast that John McWhorter does, and he said that languages with simple phonological inventories tend to have longer words. But languages with simple phonological inventories tend to have shorter words. Um, do you think this is true? Uh, it is, but uh, when he's talking about simple, it's things like Hawaiian that only have 11 or 12 consonant and vowel phonemes altogether. Mm-hmm. The Philippine languages have from 21 to 27, right. so they're more average, so they're not simple, because you tend to have just two-syllable words. Uh, you can have three syllables and and, and of course with affixes you can have even up to seven syllables but that's more rare in Philippine languages so yeah, none of the Philippine languages have the kind of simple sounds structure that you get in some of the oceanic languages like Hawaiian Right. Well one of the things that I also wanted to ask you about because you've written on this um, at least tangentially and I I think I've quoted you on, on this because it's an interesting topic um, you know, there's a sense in which, um, it, let's just say, you know, Bisaya, the whole, the, the languages of the area, 
um, they kind of live in a little bit of a shadow of Tagalog. And uh, I know there was a time when they were talking about, you know, the national language that Tagalog was chosen uh, for obvious reasons, but there were actually more Cebuano speakers than there were Tagalog speakers, or more Visayan speakers than there were yeah, Tagalog that was speakers. A close call. If you only look at Cebuano, the population of Tagalog and Cebuano have been kind of neck and neck. But if you look at the Visayan population altogether, there are sixty percent of the Filipino population, and Tagalog has never been more than a third for native speakers of Tagalog. So uh, that's why the Visayans as a whole felt left out because they're really sixty percent of the Philippine population. Problem is, of course, Cebuanos and Aklanos and Ilongos can't talk to each other. Right. So which variety? And then Cebuanos, of course, is the most populous variety of Visayan. Right. But uh, at the time of the choice of the national language, Tagalog went out because of its rich literature and the fact that it was the political capital right. for Spain and later the U.S. Well, I quipped one time, I remember, that it, it seems to me that perhaps Cebuano could have been the national language if Manila didn't have such a deep bay. Um, because is yeah. it... <laughs> Because <laughs> that's why they moved. Yeah. That's why they moved to Manila. They were down in Cebu, right, or in, in Samar. I forget exactly. But they were in that area. And then they moved to Panay, right? And then they they decided the bay in Manila was deeper. So hence, Tagalog is now the national language. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Blame it on Manila Bay. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, you were emailing me recently about um this idea of a ten point step. Oh, yeah, the 10-step thing. Yeah. yeah, I would love for you to talk about this because I'm looking at it, and it's. I think this is pretty interesting. Yeah, what it is is in doing subgrouping now of Philippine languages, I've been very involved with looking at every language in the Philippines. We know that they're Austronesian languages, all right, that they originated in Formosa. So the proto-language or the mother language or the great-great-grandmother language of all Philippine, Oceanic, uh, Malay, Indonesian languages is called Proto-Austronesian. Mm -hmm. So in order for, that's stage one, let's say, that's the original thing about 8,000 years ago. That, it must always include Formosan languages, so that's step one. Step two is when they left Formosa and took up residence in the northern Philippines. That step two, though, or stage two, is called Proto-Malayo-Polynesian. Right. And that includes, must include ultimately all the Oceanic languages, or any of the Oceanic languages. The third step is after they left the Philippines, they went into Indonesia, Celebes, etc. That's called Western, or Proto-Western Malayo-Polynesian. Right, right. Then the fourth step is by this time, the Philippines had developed a language within the archipelago that's called Proto-Philippine. And then another, each of these, by the way, is like a 500 or so year stage, 500 to 800 years to develop. Mm -hmm. And then the next stage, the fifth stage, was where Proto-Northern Philippine and Proto-Southern Philippine became completely independent languages. Uh, I mean, not, you know, they were obviously related, but there are many, many features of northern Philippine languages 
that just distinguish themselves from southern Philippine languages. Sometimes it's just a matter of accent, like the word for lung is baga in the northern Philippines, but baga in the southern Philippines. But in the north, for sugarcane, they say unas. Really? But in the, uh, but in the southern Philippines, it's tabu. Yeah, bantayan so, tubu. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so the word for sugarcane is one of the words that helps show the, the huge difference between the languages of Luzon and the languages of the Visayas and Mindanao. And just to point and out real quick, get, when we're talking about Tagalog is still included with the with the uh, with the Visayan languages at this point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. And Tagalog has tubo for mm-hmm. sugarcane. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you get uh, the first branch. Uh, off of northern or southern, either northern or now you have to remember they're both diverging separately. Northern and southern mm-hmm. is what I call a macro group. You get the large group of languages like Central Cordilleran, which includes things like Ifugao and um, uh, Bontoc and, and uh, other you know languages of the Central Cordilleran group, or you get Northeast Luzon, which is Ibanag and Gadang languages. So those going up in the northern Philippines. In the southern Philippines, you mainly have this greater central Philippine language that I mentioned that Visayan is part of, and then other Mindanaoan languages like Bilic or Bilaan, uh, Palawano, uh, Klata, and so on. So these are major subgroups or microgroups or like macrogroups I'm calling. Then you get a microgroup so that from the greater central Philippine you get Visayan, you get Tagalog, you get Bicol. Then you get the subgroup, which is just uh, Visayan is broken up into uh, at least five. There's the South, the Cebuan, the Central, the Asi, and the West. Right. right, and those right. are subgroups. And finally, you get the language, you know, so Aklano, Cebuano, Bantayano. So at any rate, there's 10 stages altogether. I'm going to send you uh, something that you can put up, you know, on the screen if you... Uh, okay. Or, or, or make available along with the video. Yeah, that's one thing that I, 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 I like to point out during these interviews is that as much as possible, I'll go back through the interviews and on the show notes on the website, whatever we're talking about, I'll, I'll make available. Yeah, I have this all typed up pretty for you. <laughs> okay. Well, and that's okay. is a good time. This is a good moment to point out that I did ask you and you gave me permission. Uh, I can, you have a, a whole treasure trove of resources on your website and I'll be. Oh, yes, you can give my website yep. uh, address to people. That's yep. fine. And I'll put that link out too. And because um, I know. I think every single one of the links uh, shows visited on my on my browser here because I've basically looked at all of them. As a matter of fact, I was looking at one a couple of days ago that I had mistakenly missed. Um, but yeah, but no, no, I keep putting things up. I'm educating a Filipina named April Almarines uh, who uh, advised me to just talk to your audience like I talked to her. At <laughs> uh, any rate, I'm uh, giving her, she wants to write a Tagalog etymological dictionary, but oh, like wow. me in my Peace Corps days, uh, she had no training in linguistics, so I gave her a 20 hours course in linguistics, and now we're doing historical linguistics. Uh, and so I put up you know, all sorts of data on my website, which okay. is intended for her to download. 
Uh, oh. But it, it will disappear once she downloads it. Oh, okay, okay. But there's certain things that stay on my website, like my publications and right. uh, the other material, a lot of my other materials. Right. Well, the one that I was looking at um, had a lot to do with the voice system. Um, but and well, that's actually something I want to talk to you about. But um, before we go, before we move on, you've you've gotten down to the ten steps, and you've gotten down to Aklanon, Bantayanon. Um, but then we also talked about an eleventh, you know. And this is a, a oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, the eleventh step. Once you get to a language like Aklanon or Bantayanon, now Aklanon clearly has dialects, so that's the eleventh step. It, it, people of Kalibo speak what they call Kalibonhon in Aklanon, but if you go to a few miles north, there's a town of Ibahai, Ibahainon. Akranon is a completely, not completely, but it's a different dialect. It has certain verb conjugations that are different and some vocabulary. Uh, so it, you know, it's still mutually intelligible. With somebody from Kalibo can go to Ibai and they communicate fine. But there will be the odd word here and there that you know is different to them. Right. But they can ask about it. Then you know what's that mean? Right. Well, this is this is very similar uh, to Bantayanon because, um, you know, this question comes up because I'm talking to somebody in Santa Fe. Well, for our listeners, Bantayan is a, a large island off the northwest coast of Cebu, and it's also surrounded by several little islets. Not all of them are Bantayanon speaking, but the 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 area, the island, is Bantayan. The it's in the Cebu region, but. On the Bantayan Island, you have three municipalities. So you have Bantayan, Madrid de Jos, and Santa Fe. And so these, what we, what I have realized in my, in my research is the, the people from Santa Fe, everybody talks about how they talk. It's a, it's, they make jokes, you know, they, they talk about it lovingly, you know, they, they, it's just, it's a topic of conversation with everybody when you're talking about the language, but you'll hear somebody from like Santa Fe or Matidejos, and sometimes they don't like the fact that you call the language Bantayanon. And so, because there's a, there's a municipality called Bantayan. And so what we've done is, and, and in my dissertation, um, what we've done in, in the work that we are working on preparing for the dictionary is we've actually indicated Binantayanon, Sinantapehanon, which is like the dialect spoken in Santa Fe, and Lawisanon, which is the dialect spoken in Madidejos. Bantayan and Madidejos are not going to be super different, but when you get over into Santa Fe, man, the the um uh it gets really interesting when you listen to people talk about it. Um like they talk about how they have a sing song way of speaking and how it's yeah. more like, you know, uh, um like and there's another example. They they talk about the way that they pr- pronounce final eyes. So E. So in like in Bantayan, there's we only have the three way vowel system. So you know the A, the I, and the U. So the word for um, um, for white is pute, and that's the way it's normal pute pute. But in, in in Santa Fe they'll say pute, and people make fun of them about that. You know, and so and there are other like um, other funny words like the word for char for ice in Santa Fe is uling ngapute which is basically 
white charcoal because you think of it as it's the same shape as the charcoal in that little tubular bag, you know. And yeah, um, right. uh, but yeah, but I mean, so but there's definitely the perception on the island that the people in Santa Fe speak a very different dialect, but it's all the same language. Correct. Yeah, there's no uh, great uh, uh, barrier to you know, communication, but. People, uh, you hear this with Filipinos that they'll say, "Oh, they speak like birds," meaning they yeah. twitter, <laughs> tweet or something. And you know, or they, the Filipinos have acute ways of names of characterizing other languages. But yeah, it, the, the, there's no barrier to communication, or no main one. But yes, that's why besides dialects, you get speech varieties, uh, which could be based, you know, on regional area stuff too. Right. 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 Well, and there's a little island off of off of Santa Fe called Kinatarkan, and um, I've, it's been reported to me that they speak quite differently over there too, but not enough to be a different language. But interestingly enough, they the Bantayanos definitely perceive their language as separate from Cebuano, and um, oh, yeah. and, and and it's 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 difficult it's. It's disappointing to me sometimes that this is not recognized because, you know, generally it's believed that Bantayanons just speak a different form of Cebuano. And I wish that wasn't the case, but that's the way it's perceived. Also remember to check out the show notes at weeklylinguist.com where you will find further information about this episode. Like more information about the guest, a selected bibliography, and any links mentioned in this episode. As the saying goes, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell us. You can tell a friend by rating us 5 stars on iTunes and by writing a glowing endorsement in the reviews. Don't forget to subscribe when you're done and follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Weekly Linguist. For any feedback, positive or criti- critical, <laughs> write to us at podcast at weeklylinguist.com. Tell us what you think, what we can do better, or even suggest to topic uh, a topic for an upcoming episode.